0: As, uh, as you know, we've been going through Nuts and Bolts series uh, this summer, uh, and I've been running on the tracks of uh, the church, kind of what is the church, who is the church, what, what are we about, and uh, today we're just going to get real practical. The last couple of times that I've got to talk about the church, we talked about first and foremost how the church was formed. Uh, from the beginning, God was calling a people uh, to be His own, and He formed uh, the church. And we've defined the church as people who have been chosen by God that have been purchased by the blood of Jesus and are purposed with displaying and declaring the gospel to the whole world. Mm-hmm. Then we talked about how the church was organized, that the church was organized under uh, a defined membership, meaning that if you're a Christian, Uh, that you belong to the church. If you're a follower of Christ, you belong in general uh, to the church. And we got a little bit down into the weeds with, you know, the global church and the local church and uh, the visible church and the invisible church. Um, But the bottom line, you belong to the church as a whole, as a follower of Christ. uh, And there's no such thing in the Bible. It wouldn't seem to be like a Lone Ranger Christian that isn't part of a local church, right? And so, so the church is organized under defined membership, and and every Christian is a member. Uh, Out of those members, uh, the the Bible gives qualifications for leadership, uh, elders and deacons in the church, and then we see the pattern in Scripture of an an intentional gathering, so the church regularly gathers. That's kind of where I left off Last time, and so today I want to talk about our actual gathering, what what we do, and kind of the, the method to the madness of, of what happens here uh, on on a given Sunday morning and I want to talk for just a moment as we get into this as uh, some to serve as some context uh, DNA we, we all know what DNA is, right Um <clears throat> stands for Deoxy, I'm not even going to try. DNA. You, you, you know what DNA is. It's, it's our genetic code, right? Uh, it's, it's wired into us, and we have these things that are common to humanity uh, because of our DNA. It contains genetic instructions uh, for our development and for the function of living things. Uh, DNA is the master molecule of every cell. Uh, it contains vital information that gets passed to each successive generation. It coordinates the making of itself as well as other molecules or proteins. If it's changed slightly, serious consequences may result. If it's destroyed beyond repair, then the cell dies. Now, now think about this as the context of the church. Right? God has wired into the church or created into the church a DNA. A DNA. And and what I just read, you came out of a science magazine, so this wasn't me just making up things. These are, you know, smart people that are telling us this, that if the DNA is altered slightly, then the dominoes begin to fall in a different direction and there's a different outcome. And and so we have to be uh, really careful and pay attention to the DNA of the church and that that we're always centering on the word of God that gives us this DNA for the church. We we don't want to alter slightly and down the road have disastrous consequences and so a couple weeks back, uh, Pastor Brent worked through uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. And I just want to read, read these verses again because uh, this is part of where we get the DNA of the church. And so to give some context, uh, it was the day of Pentecost came and the Holy Spirit came. Uh, and, and immediately people were coming to faith. And, and nobody had to sit the people down and say, okay, now here's how you organize the church. This thing just kind of happened at the coming of the holy spirit and it says this in acts 2:42 that they the early believers devoted themselves to the apostles teaching to the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers and all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising god and having favor with all the people and the lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved the dna of the church this 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 was hardwired into the church from the beginning they didn't have to sit down and attend classes to learn how to do these things they just were this natural outflow of people coming to faith and being together right and so This is the DNA of the church. And so I want to look at just a few aspects of of our church here the door with that context in mind, with this idea that there's a DNA, there's a DNA that's hardwired into the church. The first thing that that sets really any church uh, apart is fellowship. Have you ever thought about what makes the church different from any other club that's out there? I mean, the church is not a club, but, um, you know. So uh, car club, you you got the Elks and the Eagles and the Moose and Rotary and Kiwanis and those kinds of clubs. Uh, There's all kinds of different clubs that that we join kind of based on affinity, right? Based on things that we like to do, hobbies, common interests, whatever. Um, What makes the church different than those kinds of clubs? One of the things that makes the church different is the type of fellowship that we have here in the church. In the passage I just read in Acts 2, and it says that they devoted themselves to the fellowship, the word used, a Greek word called koinonia, we don't throw out a lot of Greek here, it's, it's above our pay grade, but, but this is interesting. So this Greek word koinonia, it's not found anywhere in the gospel accounts. This is the first occurrence of this word koinonia in the New Testament is in Acts 2.42, and it says they devoted themselves to the fellowship, or they devoted themselves to koinonia, and what this word means, it implies a commonness. This isn't just people who have the same affinity getting together. We've talked about this before. If you look around the room, you'll see people here in the fellowship that, that you might not cross paths with except for here. right? Maybe you don't have common interests in life or don't have common backgrounds or those kinds of things. And so the idea of koinonia is it implies a commonness. And so What we take from that is when the Spirit was given at Pentecost, there was a new kind of fellowship that was created that didn't previously exist. And so when when believers became indwelt with the Holy Spirit, this commonness went from far beyond an affinity, far beyond common interests. Our, Our commonness is that the Spirit of God indwells those who believe. So we have a commonness because of that. We see in the Acts chapter 2 passage that fellowship is costly. There's a cost to it. It says that they had all things in common. That, that, that's a cost. They, they gave to one another as they had need. If someone had extra and someone didn't have enough, the person with extra would give to the person that didn't have enough because of the commonness of the Holy Spirit, because of koinonia, because of the fellowship. This is what they were devoted to. It said, no one considered their possessions their own. That, that rubs up against our Western sensibilities, doesn't it? <laughs> right. I, I've worked hard for what I have, just like you've worked hard for what you have. We, we've sacrificed for what we have, right? Whether you're just starting out in life or on the back end and retired, uh, we, we've worked hard for what we have, but, but in Acts 2, the commonness that was brought to them through the fellowship of the Spirit was that they didn't consider their possessions their own. People were more important than possessions. If we look at John chapter 1, verse 3, John writes this, he says, "...that which we have seen and heard and proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship or koinonia, or commonness, with us. And indeed, our fellowship or our commonness is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And so there's this kind of interconnectedness of the commonness. You and I have fellowship because we all have fellowship with the Father. So so that's the tie that binds us together. According to the Apostle John, there's a correlation between having fellowship with the Father and having fellowship with one another. We've talked about this already too, so I won't belabor it, but Paul uses the analogy of a body. 1 Corinthians 12.12 12, For just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one, so it is with Christ. Romans 12.4 and 5 For as in one body we have many members and the members not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Let that rub up against you. We belong to one another. Don't tell me... You know, the Western American, I don't belong to anybody, right? I belong to me. The Bible tells us we belong to one another. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This rubs up against us a little bit as well. Most of us probably come to church with kind of this idea of what's in it for me. That's not necessarily a bad approach. Hopefully our approach is much more than that. Uh, that's bad if that's kind of your only approach. But this is let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. Encouraging one another. So, so our involvement in church is not only what's in it for me, but, but what is it that I can do for others. Right, and so do you see this idea of fellowship and connectedness It's part of our part of our DNA and part of what we try to foster? So it's kind of overarching everything that we do. As, as we think about our specific gathering, I don't know if you've ever thought about why why do we sing at church? You ever, you ever thought that? You ever wondered why do we do this? It, it's a normal part of church. I mean, I grew up in the church. We, my my whole life, we, we've sang. I've never been to a church where we didn't sing. So, but I've never really thought about it until I became an adult, huh? I wonder why. Why do we do that, right? When you go to the Rotary Club, they don't sing. Never been to the car club, but I'm guessing they don't sing at the car club. Um, why do we do that in the church? Why do we sing in the church? Psalm 150. You might be familiar with this, but it says, "Praise God in His sanctuary." Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Everything that has breath. Now, this certainly isn't the only way that we can praise the Lord, right? Right? but but we're specifically commanded in Scripture to praise God with music and with singing. But but it's much more than that. We're pretty particular about the songs that we sing here. There's a lot of popular Christian music out there. In fact, worship music has become kind of a genre of pop Christian music. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but, but it's out there. And there are a lot of songs that you could substitute the name of Jesus for the name of your girlfriend, and they would still work. And if you notice, we we don't sing on Jesus is my girlfriend kind of songs here. We try to sing songs that not so much say, here's here's how I feel about you, God, or here's what I'm going to do for you, but we try to sing songs that, that reminds us of who God is and what God has done for us. Because you know what, there, there are some Sundays, and I think all the pastors would say this and maybe you would say this too, there are some Sundays that we show up here and we're just not feeling it. It's just part of our humanity and it's, just, it's true of all of us. And there are some days where I can't earnestly sing a song that says, here's all the things I'm going to do for you or here's how devoted I am to you. There's just some days that, that I can't sing that with you know, just the earnestness of my heart. But I can always sing, sing songs that remind me of who God is and what God has done. For, that's always true. Whether I feel it or not, it's always true. And so we're pretty intentional about that. And so we, we keep a curated list. You might not know this because this is kind of a behind-the-scenes type of a thing, but we, we keep a, a curated list of songs that, that, we, that we tell our musicians. These are the songs that we would like to sing. and We, even, we don't really have a list of, like, don't sing these kinds of songs, but, but if it's not on the list, you know, please don't. Uh, kind of a thing, Um, because our songs teach us theology, and maybe one of the kind of not so great things about Christian worship music being a a genre now is that there's a lot of songs with bad theology. There's songs that sound good, they're easy to sing, um, but there's a lot of songs with some bad theology out there, and I don't know about you, but um, I remember song lyrics from a long time ago. I remember song lyrics from the 80s. I remember song lyrics from the 90s, right? Some of you might remember song lyrics farther back. They stick with us, right? They stick with us, and so we're we're pretty conscious that uh, you learn theology, whether you realize it or not, from the songs that we sing here. So We're pretty intentional about that. I don't know if you've ever thought about this either, but singing together truths about God, that, that unifies us. And you know what, on some of these days where maybe I just don't feel it, maybe by the time we get done with two or three songs, I might be feeling it a little bit more as we've kind of centered ourselves, right? When we come here, maybe after a long week or even a rough morning, singing truths about God, it it centers us and and it unifies us and we sing that together. And there's a sense in which we sing to each other. I mean, we're not looking But the fact that we do this together, like we're, we're vocalizing truth together that matters. Right? So, so our singing of songs in a service is, is more than just simply singing some songs. And so we start out our service that way pretty purposefully. I'm going to switch my mic here. Hopefully this one won't pop. Um, we, we do that very, very intentionally. Then if you notice, we, we, we end our service with a song because what better way to respond to the preached word? Talk about preaching in a moment, but what better way to respond to the preached word by coming back and seeing more truths that we know about God, more things that we know are true. Followed by singing. If you've been around the door any amount of time, you know, we, we have a sharing time. And today, um, Gosh, these were not small things that you guys shared today. These were heavy and difficult things that you shared today. Can, can you imagine not having in your life kind of an outlet to share these kinds of heavy things and asking for support and prayer? Um, I grew up in the church. I've always had that. I don't know what it is to not have it. Maybe that's not true for some of you. Maybe you've not had that in your life before, but I can't imagine not having some kind of support in my life when when things go bad, I say I need help and I need prayer and I need support. For us, this is sort of a. Sometimes our sharing times are weird. Let's be honest. Um, sometimes some of you guys share some weird things, and I'm not saying like don't stop. It's part of what makes the door the door. But like sometimes we hear some weird things. Um, it's unique. I, I have a group of pastor buddies that. Uh, uh, I was going through a cohort with a, a couple of years ago, and we were talking about our different church services, and and all of these guys in this cohort with me, they were all their churches were very liturgical, so they had it was pretty scripted, you know, their services from beginning to end, and you know you've got three minutes to make announcements, and you know four and a half minutes for this song, and you know two two minutes for this prayer, like just beginning to end, and and it got to me, and I told them, well, you know, we we have an open mic time at our service, we just pass around and people can say whatever they want. <laughs> they were blown away, like, how can you do that? <laughs> but it, it's one of the coolest parts of what we get to do, even in the weirdness. It's, it's so cool that we get to do this with one another, that we get to say, I need help with this, or I need prayer for this, or acknowledge you know, God's goodness. In our, I'm so encouraged when I hear you guys acknowledge God's goodness in your life. It, it sticks with me. And even like the heavy things that were shared today, like that's going to stick with me through the week. I hope it sticks with you through the week too. I hope that we're thinking about these things beyond Sunday. This is such a valuable part of our service. Galatians chapter 6, the first three verses say, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted." Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. We're, we're not in the middle of our services, you know, calling out one another's sin necessarily. But if we love one another, we ought to be doing that. We, we bear one another's burdens this way. You guys shared some burdensome things today. and We get to bear this with one another. You guys shared some heavy things and we get to bear it together as God's good gift To all of us. The Bible tells us um, to love God with everything we've got, all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That that plays out in our services when we get to, to share in the hard things in life, when we get to celebrate the good things in life with one another. In the Bible, there's no separation between loving God and loving what God loves. I've, I've heard people say something to the effect over the years many times, you know, I love God, but his people, eh, I don't know, not so much. For, for the Christian, there, there's no separation between loving God and loving what God loves. Now, people are hard to love sometimes, I'll give you that, right? Sometimes it's a challenge. But if we love God, the natural outflow of loving God is to love the things that God loves and to be for the things that God is for. And that's part of why we can bear one another's burdens. As we think about prayer, how how is it that you view prayer? Is God like a genie in a bottle? If you rub the lamp just the right way that he's going to grant your wishes? That's not not who God is. Prayer is a sign of dependence upon God. I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way. The fact that we can go to God in prayer means that, that we think that he's bigger than us. He's more powerful than us, that he's more wise than us. If we can go to God and cry out for help, that means at some level we think that he can help us. But to think that he's a genie in a bottle just waiting to do everything that we ask for, that's kind of ridiculous. Tim Keller says, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child he goes on to say that we have that kind of access. We, we have such a king and we are such children that we can wake up the king at 3 a.m. For, a, for something as simple as a glass of water because he loves us and because he cares for us. And so we have this, this sharing part of our service where we can go to prayer together with one another and bear one another's burdens. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 tells us to pray without ceasing. So not only do we pray here, again, hopefully you're praying when you go out there, when you go back home and you're thinking about these, like we continue to bear one of those burdens through prayer throughout the week. And so, again, as weird as it can be at times, our sharing time is such a beautiful part, such an important part of what we do, and and this is why we do it. It would be easy at times to say, you know what, (laughs) this is too weird, we just need to not do this anymore. Our church wouldn't be our church without it. It's part of our DNA part of our DNA. You might not be aware of the burdens of others if not for something like what happened this morning. And if you're not aware, then then you're not able to pray as effectively, right? Part of the method to our madness. We celebrate in our church services the sacraments. We're going to celebrate communion today after the servers at the end of our service. Baptism and communion are typically practiced within the gathered church and not necessarily in in private ceremony and why is that we we do communion once a month the bible just tells us as often as you do it right doesn't give us a prescription some churches do it every week some churches do every we've chosen to do it once a month we feel like that's an appropriate amount uh, for communion once a month that we can remember the truth of the gospel through communion, celebrating the death of Christ, his broken body, and his shed blood for us. We practice baptism, believers' baptism, as often as there is a need for it. Right? We don't have that on a regular schedule, but as often as there is a need for it. And we do both of these things with the gathered church. We, we don't typically baptize somebody in a private home. Not saying that would necessarily be wrong, there, there are circumstances. Uh, where that might be warranted, but we we typically practice these things with the gathered church because it's a way for the gathered church again, kind of like in our singing to in unity in unison to to proclaim the gospel in communion and in baptism to be reminded of not what we do for Christ but what he's done for us right we we don't do communion or practice baptism in order to clean ourselves up we We practice these things as a reminder to us all of who Christ is and what he's done. That's the larger purpose behind the sacraments. In our preaching, we we have very, again, method to the madness. There's a DNA here at play. Acts chapter 2, when it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the literal translation would be to say that they continually were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. And what did the apostles teach? They taught Christ, right? They taught Christ. There are different methods of, of preaching, and, and and you know, just because we have three pastors, we all kind of have our own, you know, kind of different voices. Um, you know, we share values and how preaching ought to be done, uh, kind of the mechanics of preaching, but but we have kind of lend our own personalities to it, and it's again just one of the things that we think is pretty beautiful about the door that you get to hear from multiple voices. Um, that, that our church is centered around a person. Um, it seems like a lot of churches are that. Um, and it is just not something that we value. Uh, in our preaching we we have a strong conviction that preaching should be done expositionally. Not to bore you with, you know, kind of, you know, boring terms, but you know there there are different ways like we can come to scripture and you know on any given Sunday I can show up and say you know what I want to I want to teach about parenting today. And so I'm going to kind of scour my Bible and I'm going to find, you know, maybe three or four scriptures about parenting. And I'm not saying this is a wrong way to do it. This just is not our our conviction of of the best way to do it. Um, And I can take my idea and impose it upon scripture and find some things to back up my idea. Or we can read scripture and let scripture speak for itself and try to draw out of scripture what's already there. Right? That, that, that's our value. That, that's expositional preaching. We're exposing the text for what it is. And, and that's a value uh, that we all have as pastors. Some things that sometimes pass or are called expositional preaching that aren't necessarily expositional preaching is uh, preaching that's sequential, meaning that you just go from beginning to end. You know, if the Genesis to Revelation or you know, book by book chapter by chapter, verse by verse, that's not necessarily expositional preaching. Um, it can be, but it isn't necessarily. Uh, running commentary sometimes is called expositional preaching, where we might just read through a passage and say, well, here's verse one, and it means this, and here's verse two, and it means that, here's verse three, and it means this. That, 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 that's that's commentary, not preaching. Um, observation. Some, some Pastors will stand in the pulpit and just say, here are all my observations and kind of leave you to figure it out, right? That's not necessarily expositional preaching either. Um, Inspiration, I I grew up in Pentecostalism, and so inspiration was kind of a big one. It wouldn't be uncommon for the pastor to get up on a Sunday morning and and just chuck his notes and say, we're just going to wing it today. (laughs) You're going to let the spirit flow, not necessarily expositional preaching uh, proof texting kind of what I mentioned earlier here 's my idea and i 'm going to find some proof text to support my idea um, topical you might might call that also topical and again not not a bad way to go so i'm preaching a topical sermon to you today right uh, but, but our our value is that the main diet of the church would be expositional preaching. David Helm in his book Expositional preaching defines it this way that expositional preaching is an endeavor to bring out of scripture what is there to never thrust into a text what the Holy Spirit did not put there, and to do so from a particular text in ways that rightly humble the listener, exalt the Savior, and promote holiness in the lives of those present. That's important to us, that as we rightly divide Scripture, that it humbles us, that it exalts Christ, and that it promotes holiness or or encourages us uh, to live lives in obedience to the Savior. We've learned that it's by God's word that he has formed people. In the very beginning, right? God created the heavens and the earth by saying, let there be, spoke into the nothingness and said, let there be, and then there was. God's word is powerful. My word is not. God's word means something. My word doesn't. And so our endeavor, again, to you is to expose to you the word of God as best as we can because, because our conviction is that it's God's word that does the work, it's not our, our ability as orators or public speakers. That doesn't matter. We, we work at that. And we want to improve at that and do the best we can, but, but that's not what matters. That's not where the power is. Power is in the Word of God. And we're continually shaped by His Word. Colossians three sixteen and 17 says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This might be just a a good summary of what we try to do here from Sunday to Sunday in our church services. It's God's word that shapes us. It's God's word that forms us. It's God's word that is the DNA for our church. It's God's word that shapes the things that we do. We endeavor to be Christ-centered, gospel-centered church from beginning to end. And so there is intention in all that we do. There's purpose in all that we do. There's a method to the madness in all that we do. And all of it is in the hope that, that when you come in here on a Sunday morning that you'll be pointed to Christ. I have a couple of preachers who I regularly listen to on podcasts, and the reason that I do it, there's a lot of podcasts out there, and, you know, we have at our fingertips with the internet availability to just, you know, the best preachers out there, right, and there are some many preachers that I can listen to and think, you know what, that guy's really good, he's a good speaker, he's engaging, he holds my attention, those kinds of things, but the guys that I really like and the guys that I know that that all three of us pastors endeavor to be, uh, the reason I listen to the guys that I listen to is that I come away not necessarily thinking that guy's really good. I come away often from these couple of guys thinking God is great, like the focus is upward, and and that's what we endeavor to do in our church services, that, that we would point you to Christ. And that any, whether the believer or the unbeliever who would come. And we, we all need the same gospel. right? As believers, we need the same gospel as unbelievers. And we need to be reminded of it, right? And that's part of our purpose and part of our endeavor. I wrote down a quote that I can't, I can't remember where I found it. I wrote this quote down many years ago, and it's kind of stuck with me, but I, I, it's just not mine. I don't know whose it is, but it's not mine. But, But it says this, what happens in a church... Where the Spirit reigns, there's a radically wonderful reorientation of our essential relationships. Where the Spirit reigns, believers relate to the Word by sitting under the teaching of the Word. Where the Spirit reigns, believers relate to one another. This idea of koinonia, this commonness, this kind of particular fellowship that's derived by the Spirit. And where the Spirit reigns, believers relate to God in worship. Everything we do is worship to God, right? Not not just our singing. Everything we do is worship to God. Even our evangelizing, as Pastor David has been talking about, is worship to God. And if our gathering, if our intentional gathering doesn't lead to our intentional scattering, we've missed something about the gospel, If our gathering doesn't lead to our intentional scattering, meaning if our gathering here on Sunday mornings doesn't lead to us going out there and proclaiming the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're missing something when we come in here. And so I would encourage you just to to consider with all of the intention that goes into what our church services look like and that we point you to Christ, that you would go out and consider how you might be able to point others to Christ maybe even bring them in here with you so they can continue to be pointed to Christ. I don't want to steal too much of David's thunder for his next message in this, so I'll, I'll kind of leave it at that. But, but all of this put together the, the DNA of the local church, our local church here at the door. So if you have any questions about any of these kinds of things, the pastors are always available to talk to you guys about this, or if you want to, you, know, you didn't have time today to get super in-depth with any of this, and so, uh, you know, If you do have some, some detailed questions or want to know more, uh, please let us know, but but just know that we do have a DNA, and, and we, we work hard as pastors, and hopefully you as members of the church to preserve the DNA uh, that's built into us by God's Word. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful this morning um, that you have given us a DNA, that you have hardwired into the church certain things, and so I pray that you would help us to preserve those things that you've hardwired into the church, uh, that we would be a church that is uh, Christ-focused, gospel-centered, that you would help us um, week after week in our gathering to be intentional about building one another up, intentional about bearing one another's burdens, intentional uh, about when we uh, go outside of these walls proclaiming uh, the truth of Christ to a world that needs to hear it that you would help us um, as we endeavor to draw nearer and nearer to Christ. Uh, We can't do it alone. We're thankful that we have each other to help in that endeavor. Help us not neglect the gathering as we're commanded to in Scripture. And help us to come uh, to the gathering with less of the mindset about what's in it for me and more of the mindset about what can I do to help somebody else or to build somebody else up. Help us to love one another the way that you've commanded us to love one another as we do those things that it would show the watching world who you are. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.